This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. we got lots to go over, but again, COVID is continuing to be a problem with the Carolina Hurricanes. They are now off the board through January 23rd. And this affects the Florida Panthers. I feel bad about them because they were the victims of Dallas having to postpone their games because of COVID. And now their games against Carolina being postponed. So Florida's only played a couple of games that actually played pretty well with their wins over Chicago, winning last night in overtime 5-4. to four. So we'll see where it goes after the 23rd. The facility has been closed. There's two players in question here. So we'll see how this uh, is going to move forward. But it's going to be just rescheduling and trying to figure out how to play all this out. And we talked about with EJ yesterday, you know, baseball was able to do a percentage a winning percentage to figure out who goes to the playoffs. So the St. Louis Cardinals did not finish their schedule, but they were able to use winning percentage. How do you do it in the NHL when we're talking about points? Now, maybe it won't matter. Let's say Florida or Dallas or Carolina, because of the circumstances, come up a game or two short. Well, if the points don't matter as far as making it or not making it, well, then that then forget about it. But when you talk about seeding, there's a lot that goes into it that they're going to have to try to figure out. I'm not I'm not sure winning percentage works out. What they could do, and I'd hate to see this, is expanding the playoffs the way they did last year, where if there's a team like, let's say, Carolina misses by a point, figuring out a way to allow them in, it's going to be really strange. But if we've learned anything during this whole sports during COVID deal is that anything is possible, we've got to be ready for it all, right? You can't talk about tradition or that's not fair – I don't know if fairness works. You, you, you try to come up with the best way possible. You try to make everybody happy. But at the end of the day, COVID is going to screw something up. And if you're going to try to proceed forward through COVID, then this is what you have to live with. So I hope it doesn't affect the standings. And I hope the sport does not get compromised in some way, shape, or form. But I guess the good news is it's early enough of the season. I guess the good news is the expectation is that as the season progresses, things will get better, more People will be vaccinated. Less people will be infected. But who knows? We're 10, men, 10, 10 months into this thing, and God knows where it's going gonna, it's gonna to end. Um, but since we started with the Panthers and they did get a victory last night, Keith Yandel scores again. You know, here's a guy. I don't know if you've been following this story. Keith Yandel has played in 868 consecutive games. That's the fourth longest streak ever in the National Hockey League and the longest ever for a defenseman. And there's been legitimate questions that Joel Quinville was thinking about having him be a healthy scratch when Florida played their first game. And listen, Quinville has to do what he thinks is best for his team. And if he thinks they're better off with Yandel being a scratch, then I think he's got to do that. As, as much as it kills Yandel and it kills the streak, I think you have to, your, your obligation has to be to the team as a whole. But Keith is making it difficult because he plays in that first game and he scores. He plays last night, and he scores. So I guess if he continues to play well, it becomes a moot point. Um, he still has a long ways to go before he can catch Doug Jarvis. He will not do that this year, but but clearly he wants to try to keep this streak going, and, and I'd like to see it happen too. I think these Ironman streaks are fascinating, and he's able to add two to it, uh, courtesy of that 5-4 win last night uh, in overtime. Uh, Devils, they continue to play well. I'll, I'll be the first person to admit, that, I, and they may still end up being the last-place team in that division. I mean, they are a good young team, but they're playing without Heashier. They're playing without Brat. Um, you know, you lose Corey Crawford to retirement. 
So I didn't have a lot of expectations around them. The injuries certainly hurt. But when you watch this team, they're they're certainly well coached with Lindy Ruff. And I know it was a long time ago, but Lindy Ruff was a, a whisker away from winning a Stanley Cup in Buffalo. And he's a really good coach, and you could see that there's a system, that there's a plan now. Guys aren't skating around with their hair on fire, and I think that's important. The other thing is is that Jack Hughes is now becoming a legit player. I mean, he scored in every game. He had a couple of goals last night and assist. Yeah, he would have had a four-point night if not one of the goals being waved off because of an offside. And if you're going to get that kind of performance from him, and that's that's why they drafted him first overall, this Devil team could surprise a lot of people. They've gotten five of a possible six points, and uh, we'll see if it can last. Now, usually there's always teams in the beginning of a season that kind of surprise in the first couple of weeks and then fade, so we'll keep an eye on this. But they've played well. And the other thing that's really fascinating is Mackenzie Blackwood has just been outstanding. He made 47 saves last night. So, you know, the Devils' defensive structure hasn't shown yet because they're giving up way too many opportunities. But Blackwood has been tremendous. And and this is a second-round pick. We talked about it yesterday with EJ. And he was sixth in the call to trophy voting last year. So he may not come as highly touted as Carter Hart in Philadelphia. But maybe he's as every bit as good a player, and and we'll see. And they're going to lean on him. They did acquire Dell, and we'll see when he gets a chance to play. But right now they're riding the hot hand. They've got five points on the season. They've yet to lose in regulation. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood has just been a tremendous player and a big difference maker. Rangers get the 50 shots on goal. And we, we discussed that D'Angelo wasn't playing, not because of disciplinary reasons, but because Quinn, uh, Quinn wanted to go with the same lineup after the 5 nothing win over the Islanders, which is fine, uh, but that meant not playing D'Angelo for a second consecutive game. And Quinn made it clear, I'm not disciplining D'Angelo beyond the one game for that boneheaded penalty he committed in the, um, in the first game of the season, the unsportsmanlike conduct that he took for arguing a call, but because I don't want to change the lineup. That's a playoff thing to me. You know, when a team plays well, they don't change the lineup because you're playing the same team. This is a different team, and D'Angelo has been money. He's got five goals in his career against the Devils in just two years that maybe it might not have been the best thing to do as far as the matchup against New Jersey is concerned because Ibanejad has been money against the Devils. He scored. Bushnevich has been money against the Devils. He had an assist. D'Angelo's been money. He didn't get a chance to play. And when you come up a goal short, I guess you could make the case that maybe D'Angelo could have been a bit of a difference maker but, hey, the, the Rangers have been a Jekyll and Hyde team. From a 4 nothing loss to the Islanders in Game 1 to a 5 nothing win in Game 2, an awful first 12 minutes of the game last night, a dominant final 48 minutes in which they had, let, let's face it, uh, 43 of their 50 shots came in the final two periods of the game. They were the better team. They just couldn't figure out, A, a way to beat Blackwood, and, B, the Devils did a great job blocking shots and and, and the Rangers have to get more traffic. Kreider said it after the game. Got to get more traffic in front of the goaltender. Somebody's got to pay the price there. And uh, I thought the Rangers played overall pretty well. Just could not survive the bad start, giving up his Ajax goal 32 seconds in. So we'll see if the Rangers can now right their ship with four consecutive games now coming up on the road. Two against Pittsburgh, two against Buffalo. I'll be on the call Friday with Dave Maloney. I'm looking forward to that. In the early season, you're trying to figure out patterns and 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 is there any kind of trends happening well the trend seems to be when these teams get these back-to-back home games the team that loses the first game seems to always win the second game now that hasn't been exact uh we saw certainly when i saw my bet fall apart the other night uh because uh edmonton was unable to get the second uh 
make up for the loss at home against Montreal and got swept by the Canadians. And we did see Philadelphia sweep Pittsburgh. But for the most part, the team that loses, especially the night before, in their building against against the team and play that same team the next night, there is the bounce back. And, and the perfect example of that was Philadelphia. Thrashed on Monday night, 6-1. to one. Carter Hart benched, uh, pulled in that game. Philadelphia comes back with a nice 3 nothing tidy victory the next night. So that trend continued at least there. But give Brian Elliott a lot of credit. He gets the start after filling in for Carter Hart. He makes uh, 40 saves. So it, it's hard to say that Philadelphia completely outplayed Buffalo when they were outshot 40-30. to But, hey, Elliott's a part of their team. He's been a really good goaltender for them at times. And uh, after Carter Hart put up a stinker, Philadelphia bounces back and now has won three of their first four games. Also, the the trend was bucked last night with Pittsburgh as Pittsburgh wins back-to-back games now after starting 0-2 as they won on Sunday against the Capitals in the shootout, winning overtime against the Capitals last night. And the story in this one, fighting back from 3-1 down, Wilson gets a couple of goals for Washington. Pittsburgh, I don't think, is a great team and I don't think they're making the playoffs, but they can score. And... Hey, Sidney Crosby just continues to impress as he gets the game-winning goal in overtime, always putting himself in the right position. Nice, juicy rebounds, able to knock it in for the game-winning score. Sidney Crosby is one of those players that I believe could have played in any era. I, I really do. And the reason I say that, and Gretzky falls into the same category, Sidney Crosby does not dazzle you with strength. All right, Sidney Crosby's not a big guy by any stretch of the imagination. Sidney Crosby's not going to knock you off the puck. Sidney Crosby is not going to skate necessarily through um, a major check. Uh, and we've seen with the concussions that he can be susceptible to injury. What Sidney Crosby can do that puts him, to me, at least in the conversation with Gretzky, nobody's equal to Wayne, is his anticipation of where the puck is going to be and his intelligence. He is never, ever out of position. He anticipates where not just the puck is going to go, but where you are going to go with the puck. And we saw that on a goal um, earlier in the season against Philadelphia. Carter Hart tries to clear it from behind the net. Crosby's able to position himself perfectly to bat it out of the air, knock it into the net. So his hand-eye coordination is unbelievable. I'm sure he would have been a great baseball player. But he just anticipates. You know, Wayne Gretzky was never the fastest guy in the league. He certainly wasn't the strongest guy in the league, but he knew where the puck was going to go. Sidney Crosby's not at that level. Now, a Connor McDavid is faster than Crosby. Connor McDavid could probably do more with the puck, with the speed that he has, but Crosby's just on a, on a different thinking level. If you listen to the Michael K show, Michael K talks about he plays three-dimensional chess. That's what Crosby does on the ice that makes him so good. Um, Ottawa's off to a decent start. Ton of shots against Winnipeg last night, but Winnipeg fights back from 3-1 down, and they win in overtime by the final score of 4-3. to Playing without Patrick Line A, um, that's a bit of an issue for Winnipeg, but they did fight back and they did get a win. And I, I, I can't tell you specific numbers right but all I know is is that whenever I watch a Winnipeg Jet game whenever I have to chart their goals from preparing to call a Winnipeg Jet game or like last night doing the post game for the Rangers and writing down the goal scores I'm hard-pressed to find many times that the Winnipeg Jets play and and Connor doesn't score you know so Shifley gets all the attention Line A gets all the attention Wheeler gets all the attention but I got to tell you pound for pound uh, when you look at this team, 
How just how good can Kyle Connor end up being in this league? He's only 24 years old. He's got three goals in three games already this year. You know, he's got 108 goals in 252 career games. He's got 206 points. Um, he scores on the power play. He's got shorthanded ability. Um, he's already got three shorthanded points this year for Winnipeg. He's getting better and better every single year. Winnipeg's just got to get their act together with their blue line, but and they got to keep line A healthy and eventually decide how they're going to keep him long term. But Connor is just one of those forgotten players sometimes that really completes the Winnipeg Jets, whatever they might be. Um, give credit to the Detroit Red Wings. This is clear, clearly a rebuilding year for them. They've got a lot of young players, but you kind of forget they do have players that have contributed in the past. Mantha's still there. Um, Larkin is still there. But you know the acquisition of Bobby Ryan's been a good one. He now has four goals, scored again last night. This is not a team that's going to overwhelm you offensively, but Bobby Ryan, who's a great story, and he seems to have found a home in Detroit, and they added veteran leadership with a Mark Stahl, who's going to help with some of their younger defensemen. This is not going to be a playoff team by any stretch, but it's a team that any given night can beat you, and I think they've actually been a fun team to watch so far this year. And you know, Columbus, they've got... They've got issues as well that they've got to kind of clean up as well and what they're going to do uh, with Dubois. But, um, and their goaltending situation is obviously something that they want to try to see improved. But uh, they'll get their act, their act together. Tortorella has them well coached. But uh, good on Detroit and what they've been able to do. Uh, Colorado and Los Angeles, a 3-2 win uh, for Colorado in this one as McKinnon gets his 500th NHL point. It's amazing. He feels like he's been in the league for five minutes. He's already scored half of a thousand. Saad gets his first goal of the year, ranted, and so the usual suspects there. Um, good on Los Angeles in the third period. Get a couple of goals from a Tennessee and Kempe to make it interesting, especially uh, Kemp's, Kempe's goal in overtime. But the best acquisition I think Colorado made during the course of, uh, of, of the last calendar year uh, getting a Devon Taves is going to be great. Now, they lost Barry, but Taves is younger. I think he's a little bit more that can grow into a more complete defenseman, and I think that that was a great move and certainly a loss uh, for the New York Islanders and, of course, Carolina and Nashville postponed. Now, let's take a look at the games tonight. Anxious to take a look at the Montreal Canadiens, who are quietly one of the best teams in the league, also have yet to lose in regulation 2-0-1 to start the year and have won two in a row. Both of those games in Edmonton, they continue the Western swing against Vancouver that after their first win of the year against Edmonton has dropped three in a row. Edmonton at one and three. They're going to be in Toronto to take on the Leafs, who are three and one. Many people have Montreal and Toronto battling for the division, with Toronto winning this division ultimately. And so far, that looks like it's going to be the case. Uh, San Jose looking to even their market two and two will be in St. Louis to take on the Blues. Wild and the Ducks as Minnesota continues out west. Not bad so far, winning two of three. Coyotes and the Golden Knights. Vegas likes to bat you around like a bunny. I mean, how many times have you seen this team lackluster start, money in the third period? This is such a fabulous team. So far, Pacioretty, is he staying? Is he going? Well, you know what? Three games, he's got three goals, including the game winner uh, the other night. So those are the games on tap tonight in the National Hockey League. Let's hear from you. Best way to do that is at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. And Tony Terrific says, most overreaction over anything fan base currently going in hockey according to you so kind of all over the place with the tweet but you sent it the last couple of days and i wanted to read it the overreaction that you get 
from like any any fan base is like this but so you look at the more popular teams right you look at montreal a lot of overreaction there where everybody wants to see julian fired everybody wants to see bergeron bergevin fired and then they get off to a great start and it's look out they're going to win the stanley cup i think you know just the, just the conversation about Kerry price being a great goaltender yet he's never even played in a stanley cup final there's a lot of re- over overreaction there a lot of overreaction with the rangers too right original 16 people get crazy boston so i don't look at any fan base being any different than any other i think they're fans they're fanatics i think all fans fans overreact I think all fans are like that but the ones that overreact the most are the ones that have the biggest fan base and the loudest fan base and that's always going to come um, from an original six team Sam Diaz says in this shortened season does the possibility of Mika being injured and Strom slow start necessitate a trade for a top two center like Dubois uh, what would be a fair trade for him well it's going to be difficult they're going to ask for a lot you know, and the Rangers are kind of a team that, as much as anybody would love to be able to have a center of that ilk, I don't know if the Rangers really feel like they're in a position right now to make that kind of a blockbuster deal. All right. Mika didn't really get hurt. Mika had COVID, but he's been fine since coming back here. And I think he's going to get stronger as the season goes on. Strom, he's a bit of an enigma, right? He's been that way his entire career. What was he, the fifth, sixth overall pick of the Islanders? Bounced around the league. He's found a home here. But I'd be a little bit more concerned if I'm a Ranger fan with Brett Howden. I mean, Brett Howden's been in the league now. What is this, his third year? I have not seen the growth at all. Um, he has been basically relegated to the third or fourth line for the most of his career. Um, there's going to be just way too many teams that are going to want uh, Dubois to make you think that um, that the, I think the Rangers are going to be in on that. Chris says, hi, down the Flyers are 3-1, and one, but the defense has holes. Prior to Myers getting hurt last night, we've only played three games, but with the injuries to Couturier and to Myers and Frost, how long does Fletcher wait for them to turn around their play before making a move? Well, he's going to wait because this is still a team that is winning the bulk of their games, right? And and with the exception of the hiccup against the Sabres. And, hey, listen, I don't think the Sabres are making the playoffs, but they've got plenty of firepower there, right? You know, they went out – and they got they made some acquisitions that are going to make them better offensively. I think Mark Stahl, I mean Eric Stahl is going to be very good uh, for them for sure. Um, that that's a team that's going to do some things. So I'm not I would not be freaking out that you lost six to one of them the other night and you bounce back. You face forty shots. Elliot was good. I don't think there's going to be any panic from Fletcher with Philadelphia. Now I do think this is a big year for them. Um, even with the with the new format, they still should be a playoff team. But I wouldn't get overly concerned right now three games in, even though they've had their share of injuries, that I think there's going to be much panic from Fletcher at this point. But we'll have to wait and see. Shining Wizards, Kevin says, with Jack Hughes off to a hot start and the Devils being 2-0-1 without Vantanen, Heeshear, and Brat, even uh, in the lineup, were we selling the Devils short this season? Is it still too early to tell? Well, of course it's too early to tell. I think it was last year where Ottawa surprised a lot of people early, and and, and it all kind of came to a, a head as the season went on. You know, they gave up 50 shots on goal, so there, there's a lot of things they need to clean up here. But but here here's where we maybe underestimated them. Okay, and we'll see what Heeshear and Brat can do, and you know we know what Vanton can do. Obviously, he's he's been here before. Is is this just a quick start for Hughes, or is this something that is sustainable? If it's sustainable and he's going to be nearly a point a game guy, you know, then that's what they drafted first overall a couple of years ago. Then you have to reconsider that maybe this is a good uh, 
team because what has always been the problem with the Devils? They're always chasing a goal, right? This is a team that does not overwhelm you offensively. But if you're telling me that in a 56-game schedule, Hughes is going to be a 60-70 a, a, a point guy, well, then that's going to change. And, and he's here coming back from this injury with the foot. You know, now, now you're talking about a team that could score. Yeah, this is a team going into the season where your biggest offensive threat was Kyle Palmieri. And he's still a, a good player, but Kyle Palmieri on a championship-caliber team is probably playing on a third line. But with the Devils, he's a big monster offensively because they don't have a lot of great offensive players. That might be changing now if you're going to be telling me that some of these young kids are going to start to come together. And, and, I, and I think it's happening. But with young teams, and I've seen it with the Rangers the last couple of years, you're going to get up and down. You're, you're going to get great play, and everything's going to come together, and then you're going to get a five-game stretch where you can't get out of your own way. That's going to happen. They take way too many penalties. Their penalty kill is not good. All right, it was not good last night. Almost cost them the game. So there's definitely things uh, that have to get cleaned up there. Steve says Rangers power play look like it's improved, but still needs some work. What changes need to happen for that line changes or a trade? Well, I like their power play. There, from a possession standpoint, it's very good. Remember, you've played without D'Angelo the last couple of games. He's still very good on the power play. So I still think you're 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 close to a very you got a lot of work to be done there, but I don't think we're getting into any kind of position right now where you could say that they have to make a trade. Remember, it's going to be difficult to make trades to begin with anyway. It's a 56-game schedule, all right? Um, all the top four teams make the playoffs. Uh, so I'm not even sure the way things are going right now with the Rangers by the time we get to the deadline, whether they think that they're going to be in a position to make the playoffs to make that kind of a deal. I don't even know if we talked about this before. If you can make it uh, make a deal with any of the seven Canadian teams because of the quarantine, then that might be a deal that you make for the future more so than for the now because of the fact that they have to quarantine for a couple of weeks. So that's not going to help you if he's going to miss seven, eight games after the deadline because there's got to be quarantine. So that's taking a percentage of the league out. You're not trading within your division, you wouldn't think. So you've cut your options basically in half already in a 56-game schedule. so And then you have to ask yourself the realistic possibility. With the format the way that it is, are you winning a cup because of these? And you don't want to start mortgaging your future. And I'm not saying you throw away this year under any stretch of the imagination, but I think you're going to be forced into thinking more long-term than short-term for some teams in a short schedule. Philadelphia, Boston, Colorado, you know the elite teams of the league – that might be a little bit of a different story because clearly you can win a cup. But if you're one of those teams that's just kind of poking and hoping we can sneak in, maybe do some damage, is this the year you want to do that? Uh, I'm not really sure. Because I think the teams that make the playoffs, especially in the Rangers division, are going to be quality teams. I think the four teams that come out of the East are going to be cup contenders. I think Philadelphia is a cup contender. I think Boston is a cup contender. And then you get to Washington. Uh, but still, they're only two years removed from winning uh, a championship, right? Uh, I don't think Pittsburgh is. I don't think the Rangers are. Uh, but I, th- I I think the teams that do make it out there, the Islanders, I think are a cup contender. So I think the four teams that make it are. I'm not really sure about Washington, but I wasn't really sure Washington's making the playoffs anyway. Um, but I think if you're Pittsburgh, if you're the Rangers – I think you're going to have an eyeball more on 2021-22 than you are this year. But, hey, things can change. But right now what I've seen through the first three games, a little too Jekyll and Hyde for me. 
All right, we're going to be back again tomorrow. Try to do this as, as, as much as possible on a daily basis. So if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it, at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct, questions, comments, whatever. We're trying to connect with Leah Hextall, if you remember, her up in Winnipeg, TCN. She was a weekly every Wednesday, but we haven't been able to reconnect post-pandemic. Um, we've tweeted at each other, but we haven't uh, been able to connect to be able to get her back in the Wednesday fold. We're hoping by next day, Wednesday we can do that. So stay in touch. Enjoy the hockey. We'll be back with you again tomorrow. This was the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.